Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Sons Undone podcast. I am your host, Christopher Severino, joined once again with Jacob Fernansky, Christian, aka Shady Sane, Suave Keys, Marquise, and Nick Tornado. And now, a word from our sponsor. Weddings should be memorable, but not for the groom's lack of style. That's why our friends at the Black Tux design rental suits and tuxedos that you'll love wearing at your wedding. So if you end up getting featured on a list of 23 epic wedding fails for, say, your reception table catching on fire or your DJ playing Let's Get It On during the father-daughter dance, at least you'll know you'll look good for your close-up. The best part about the Black Tuxedo is that they have an easy online ordering process that, you, that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home trial so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, they have showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Over 5,000 five-star reviews across WeddingWire, The Knot, and their own website agree. You won't find another rental experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Grooms, if you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, visit theblacktux.com slash listen. That's theblacktux.com slash listen for $20 off your purchase. Walk. Don't run to theblacktux.com slash listen to find a new look for you and your crew. Theblacktux.com. Formal wear for the moment. So, we're going to jump right into uh, a lot of things have happened since we've done our last pod uh, to get things going. We had the wild win uh, in overtime, 138-136 at New Orleans when they did the double timeout that they called um, when they didn't have a timeout, and we ended up winning on a technical free throw. Uh, we had the game against the Bulls, which we unfortunately ended up losing, 116-101. to uh, Followed by that, we had the game that we played at home against the Pistons. We unfortunately lost 118-98. Um, after that, we had the game that we played against Sacramento, which we lost once again, 112-103. And then finally, uh, last night's game, a 125-92 loss at Utah, where Booker went for his second highest point total of 59 points. So, fellas, let's jump right into it. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, general thoughts on the team and where we're at, especially as it concerns to last night. I think last night might have been the worst game by anybody not named Booker in, like, Suns history. The rest of the team besides Book was horrible. Nobody even got in double digits. And we lost by 33, and he scored 59 points. That, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that was, that was really bad. Um, the Jazz... They always do a good job of bullying us down low. You know, Derek Favors and Gobert always tend to have really good games against us. Um, same thing with Joe Ingles. You know our reputation of letting shooters go off, and he did pretty good. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. I mean, Book was he was hitting early and hitting often. You know, he was hitting his three ball. He was you know hitting mid range game, getting to the cup, getting getting free throws, and you know we would just never. They kind of kind of pulled away in the second quarter there, and we were just never really able to, you know, close the gap. It, it was it was pretty tough. Um, we, we cut it down to fourteen, obviously in that third quarter, just because Book was an absolute microwave. 
But um, the main concern I take away is that DeAndre in our two straight games against the Jazz has just looked awful. Um, I don't know if it's a mental thing where he's allowing Rudy Gobert's presence to get into his game and allow it to affect him so much so that he kind of forgets to play basketball a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's really concerning. He started off, you know, he seemed like he was going to come out and have a really good game. He seemed aggressive from jump. You know, missed shot followed by rebound and then, you know, had a couple of shots here and there, but kind of just diverted from there. And the rest of the team didn't pick it up, unfortunately. Fortunate, though, because, like, once we started, uh, with our starters finally getting rolling with Tyler and Kelly, everyone just seemed to get injured at the right when things were clicking well for us. Yeah, a game like last night, obviously, last time we saw Kelly Oubre was uh, the New Orleans game, which feels like forever ago now. Um, and Tyler Johnson has obviously always also been nicked up and banged up. And Josh Jackson, as inconsistent as he's been, um, his presence would have been, you know, a big help last night. And even a guy like TJ, you know, you see Book go for such a uh, gaudy line like he did last night, and you miss those guys. Uh, Kelly Oubre, Tyler Johnson, or Josh Jackson, or TJ Warren, obviously, could have all helped, you know, tenfold. There's no other team, no other player, rather, on the team scored more than nine points, which is just downright embarrassing, um, considering how much better this team had been playing in the second half. So um, it's kind of like, feels like we've taken, since the All-Star break, five steps forward and then 12 steps back, obviously with some injuries and things of that nature. But a game like this really kind of puts me in a, in a like dark place, kind of like towards the end, the beginning of the season. So. A couple of games ago, it felt like we were having fun and then all our guys got hurt. And it's now it's like, it's not even fun anymore. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you mentioned Kelly Oubre too. Um, he's the guy that we now look to, to be our, energ- uh, you know, our energizer buddy. Um, somebody who's not afraid to take big shots in the fourth quarter, not afraid to take the toughest defensive matchup every single night. And, you know, we just really, really see the difference in this team within God. Yeah, the defensive identity of the team completely disappeared. We couldn't guard a pick and roll last night to save our life. Like, they ran a pick and roll probably 32 times in a row and scored it every single time. Literally every time. Yeah, and just to just to get back to Aiden a little bit, um, you know, not only did he lack like just aggression on the offensive end, it just seemed like he reverted back to like you know the beginning of the season where he had these mental lapses where he wasn't showing on the pick and roll, um, very slow to recover um, for the role man, and just being a help defender. Even you know something that he's been really good at, which is being just a good one on one defender when he has one man that he has to just face up and guard. It seemed like he was struggling. It was little effort. It was almost like he mentally gave up, and he decided to nail it in, and it kind of showed throughout the whole game. And that's something I was super frustrated when it came to him because he has shown such an improvement, so much so that you had some national media writers and some uh, guys who are really high in analytics start to give him a little bit of praise. But it seems like all of that went out the window last night. Now his second straight game against the Jazz where He's played kind of, you know, discouraged and almost, like, disinterested. He's too good to be doing that, too. He should be able to get at least get his – even if he's playing bad, I need him to be engaged. Even if he's not getting his shots off or anything, he's too good to get yesterday. Like, he didn't want to be out there. Yeah, he looked like he didn't want to play. And usually that's not the case, especially when, like, Book or someone is going off, he's usually all about it and more yeah. energized. 
seemed like something was bothering him yesterday. I feel like Gobert is like, yeah, of his matchup this year. I don't think he's struggled like worse than anybody else this year. Definitely, definitely. It's definitely been Gobert. Everybody else, like the second time he's played them or whatever, getting good against Miss everybody. Yeah, else, usually when he gets one good matchup down, then he's good. That's yeah, a really good point, actually, because um, you know when we played uh, against the Sixers. He immediately, you know, talked about Embiid, his game, and how he said he's going to replicate and take things from Embiid. Uh, played the Thunder, felt like, 20 times this year, and every single time that he played against Steven Adams, he said he learned a little bit more, how to use his body, the strength, you know, using angles and things like that. So that's a really good point um, that he kind of tends to learn and, and do much better the second time around. But for whatever reason, you know, Gobert just gets into his head to the point where it just totally takes him out. So... Um, I really like to see him, you know, just kind of go to the tape. I remember Josh Jackson last year, you know, when uh, Triano was still the coach, um, you know, he, uh, Josh Jackson said that he never watched tape. Um, and, you know, he started watching tape. He started looking at the tape. He started, like, analyzing his mistakes and what he did. So maybe that's something that Aiden hasn't done yet and maybe he needs to do, just kind of be his own worst critic and go from there. Yeah, that's that's facts. I feel like he doesn't know that anybody else, like in the league, he feels like could actually block his shot. And I feel like he feels like Gobert's like one of the only dudes in the league that can actually block his shot. So he gets like a little timid. But I feel like he he doesn't know that he's like he has like the uh, strength advantage over Gobert. Like if he backs him down, he'll be able to get his shot off on him. Did we even give uh, in touches at all yesterday? If we think about it, in the first quarter he was getting touches, and then. He just started missing. Yeah, and then we usually, I mean, we usually don't even really give him touches like that, but. He, when he hit, he hit a fadeaway over Gobert, and I thought that was going to start giving him confidence, and it just went downhill from there. Yeah, it was tough. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, let's just move on to Booker's individual performance, even though it did end up being a huge loss, a uh, 33-point loss against uh the Jazz at Utah, obviously a very tough place to play. Um, but with that being said, let's just talk about a little bit of Booker's performance in general. What were our thoughts as that was going on, regardless of the loss? Yeah, I mean, it just once again proves to you how special the guy is and how when he gets locked into his zone, he's one of the top, you know, he can be a top five, seven offense player in the game sometimes. I've seen, you know, I, I saw one guy on Twitter call him one um, one of the best bucket getters in the NBA, just like pure bucket getters behind Steph and Clay. What do you guys think about that? I think it's accurate. It but is. also, too, that the defenses that he faces, like a lot of games getting trapped, double team. Like, not a lot of players face that same type of defense that he faces. Yeah, like last night just seemed like the easiest 59 points anybody has ever scored. He wasn't... It, they they showed him a close up in the third quarter, like at, at, towards the end, and he wasn't even sweating, bro. Like it yeah, was like he was trying. Yeah, it didn't even look like he was trying. I said that last night. Like it barely seemed like he was doing anything, and then he was just going off. It was so efficient. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And uh, to your point, Christian, um, that was Ben Dalset actually, who I believe is has some kind of relationship to uh, Utah Jazz. He's a beat writer or something of that nature. And he's actually been a really big critic of Booker in the past. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people from Sun's Twitter has gotten into it with him because of his horrible takes in the past. Well, that being said, you know, he actually gave Booker a lot of credit and say just, like, 
uh, out of difficult shot makers, he's like probably third only behind Steph and Clay when it comes yep. to just getting like degree of difficulty buckets. And um, totally agree with that. I was, you know, saying to you guys earlier before we got on the pod that he's basically like Kobe Bryant at 22 yeah. years old with higher efficiency. You know, efficient Kobe. It's it's something that we haven't seen. You know, and he takes things from Kobe and kind of makes it to his own and he's obviously his own player so it's just amazing to see the kind of guy he's growing into yeah and then as far as far as the national media goes some some people have taken the time to really kind of understand how much the organization has been holding book back in a sense and then I've also seen some people just try to continue to push the looter in a riot narrative what, what have you guys seen more of after his like big exploding scoring games he should force his way out I've been seeing that everywhere. Yeah, since, like, his second season, I've seen more people, like, hopping on the train that he's actually good. But there is still a couple, it's mostly Jazz fans, that say that he just sucks. <laughs> like, the dude that I was arguing with last night, he said that we're a top, uh, or we're a top 10 defense when book or when Book's off the court, and we're all-time historically bad with him on the court. I know that Book's not the best defender, but I, su- I know when we're good, he's going to be fine on defense. Yeah, he'll tr- he tries when he wants to. Yeah. We've seen it. We've seen it multiple yeah. times. When we need him to be good, he's, fa- he's just, co- just ask, Just ask Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he locked Jimmy up. Yeah, we, we've seen it. And then also kind of um, going back to the 70-point game against Boston – both of these huge scoring out- outbursts have come in times of when, like, we have at least three, four key guys injured. Yeah. I mean, I believe I believe the starting five in the seventy-point game was Dulles, Book, DJJ, Chris, and Len. Yeah, it was. And then tonight, yeah. tonight, obviously, we were missing Tyler, Jackson, Warren, right? I mean, like, we kind of if we want to have a chance, man, we might need him to like put up these kind of numbers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If if he didn't score last night, we would have lost by sixty-five points. Dude, you're right. You're right. <laughs> we would have got destroyed. We would have get murdered. That game just, just future superstar, but that game just like, it made it clear to me. Because there's no, like, no way he can, there's no way you really can stop him. Yeah, not, 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 not everyone can have these special games, man. Yeah, he can. He, he scores at every uh, level. Though. Like, there's no way you really can stop him. Hey, guys, remember when they so, said Brandon Ingram is better? <laughs> yeah, no, that's an awful take, but we know that we really can't take the Lakers fans' takes uh, very seriously. Um, but we're, we're not going to even give the Lakers fans any kind of love on this pod. Um, yeah, well, with, with, that, with that being said, I mean, you go back to that 70-point game, and you know, I think the second-leader scorer was like Andrew Barbosa with 11 points. Um, yeah. So second-leader scorer was, was like a nine-point game, I think, by Aiton, you know, in this game. So... Um, very similar in that regard where he didn't get much help in either game. Obviously, casual basketball fans have people that don't watch the Suns, which I don't blame you for not watching the Suns, but what I do blame you for is these awful takes where people are just saying that Devin Booker's not good or he's a bad defender or he makes his team worse when you're not watching them, when you're not seeing a guy basically score 60 points effortlessly and his second leading scorer has nine points. And the second shot taker, or the person that's taking the second most shots is Jim Fredette, who went a whopping one for ten, and <laughs> held him to getting his 60th point. Like honestly, 
if we didn't leave this guy in Salt Lake City, then I honestly don't want to watch any more Suns basketball. For the rest of <laughs> I've, I've had enough of him. I get it. You want to like sell tickets and sell jerseys and get some type of excitement left for a 17-win team, but it's not the way to do it, dude. Like I'm just, I'm just had enough of the Jimmy thing. Like just cut the guy right now. <laughs> like you said, I don't get bad at people don't watch the Suns, but if you don't know like about a team, like. Stop making takes on something you don't watch because you just sound uninformed. You're just talking and you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. And you can tell when you hear the narrative that he doesn't get his teammates involved or he's, that he's not improving as a playmaker as well because yeah, that's like, completely false. Around seven assists. Yeah, he right. he's putting up prime Harden numbers like six years before Harden was putting up these numbers. Like he's 22, bro. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, uh, the year four stats for both of them are very favorable. Uh, mm-hmm. Book is averaging... 26, 4, and 7 on 45% field goal percentage. 32 from 3, obviously having a down year from 3. 86 on the line and only 35 minutes per game, whereas Harden was averaging 26, 5, and 6 on 43%, 36 from the line, uh, excuse me, 36 from 3 and 85% from the line, and uh, playing 38 minutes per game. Um, so very favorable, obviously even more efficient than Harden. And he had a much better team that uh, – Houston Rockets team had Dragic. Obviously, Dragic wasn't really Dragic yet, but he was on his way. Chase Budinger, Marcus Morris, uh, Scola, Terrence Williams, Kevin Martin, Jordan Hill, uh, Chandler Parsons before he sucked. Uh, Kyle Lowry before he was Kyle Lowry. Um, but with that being said, it was a much better team. Can you imagine if you put Devin Booker on that Houston team and just surround them with more talent now? You know, they're talking about Devin Booker like they're talking about Harden then and even now. So, um the thing for Booker is going to be just to get better teammates around him, so he's yeah. not continually said that he's this awful player, which he's not. Yeah, because but, yeah. as soon as he gets good players, they're not going to be able to double him all the time because he's going to be able to pass out of it and hit open shooters, and they're going to be able to knock down shots. They're not leaving Melton open for three. They're not leaving Bender open for three. They're going to be leaving actual NBA players open for three, and they're not going to do that. And then when Book has one-on-one, nobody's guarding him. Exactly. Yeah, and then I can say now more than ever and way more um, for sure than two years ago that the pieces that we've got right now that we've been working with are going to be very key going forward and that they're pieces we can trust to surround Book with. Yeah, absolutely. We have a nice young core already. We just need probably one more piece and some veteran, and we're there. And to Jake's point, uh, speaking of better players and potential players we might get. Let's transition this to the NCAA tournament, and specifically two players in general, kind of the face of the tournament so far. Obviously, everybody knows Zion Williamson has been the face of NCAA basketball, the face of Duke basketball, but John Morant, which had a really good two-game run, carrying Murray State as far as he possibly could. Um, let's talk about them, their performance, what we think about them as prospects, and potentially what we feel about them at the next level is maybe potentially the next guy is to be in a Phoenix defense. Yeah. I mean, we all know who Zion is, you know, he's probably the biggest, I mean, he's probably the, yeah, the biggest physical specimen we've seen since LeBron James, as far as just like pure athleticism, size can do it all really. Um, it'd be pretty foolish to not take that guy. Number one. I think everyone can agree with that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. As far as jaw goes, um, I'll admit, I wasn't as high on him earlier in the season I did, because I didn't think he had the all-around game. But as I watched that NCAA tournament game and a couple of games prior, I noticed that his 
passing and vision is is like is really spectacular. You know, he can you know he can get guys involved. He can create his own shot. He's as athletic as they come. He can really do it all. Yeah, I I didn't like him before the tournament really, and then he just totally changed my mind. He played out of his mind in the tournament. Yep. For me, for me, this is like kind of unpopular, but Jaws the best passing prospect uh, up there with Lonzo in most recent years. And no, that's underrated about his game. No, that's, that's not. I don't think that's underrated at all. Maybe. I agree. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Just purely, just purely as a passing prospect, he's on par with Lonzo and even Trey Young more recently because um, those guys literally put the ball on the string. Like you see, John Morant off the dribble making high-level passes to the shooter's pocket to any of his, his teammates from the left or the right hand. doesn't matter if it's a dominant hand or not, but it's bounce passes, it's like cross-court passes, it's like just high-level stuff. Yeah. He's getting the ball to his teammates right in the shooting pocket when they can do what they want with it. Unfortunately, his teammates aren't very good, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the passes are just amazing. Like, you know, so... I totally agree with that take. I don't think that's a bad take. I'm actually a really good take. On the only part. problem I have with him is he turns it over a lot. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, which... Because of his load, though. Yeah, I think he's trying to force it a lot. That's it. Yeah, I think that... It goes to, like, what Chris just said about his teammates. He, basically, everything goes through him, so... How much he created the offense on for his team? I think it was over like fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. All, I mean, like, like when I was watching, he's only one taking the ball up the court every single time. Yeah, I think the only time I ever saw is like when they were doing ball denial um, and like picking him up full court, and it only happened like one or two possessions. But um, unluckily for him, you know, FSU was literally hitting everything from oh every single spot. It was ridiculous, like. Guys are like pulling up from like three feet beyond the line, just like hitting shots on the backboard. Like it's nothing you can do. Yeah, exactly. So um, I do agree with Jake to that. The fact that the turnover is a little concerning, but when a guy's averaging twenty four, ten, and six, um, and he's averaging five turnovers per game, that's still a two to one turnover to assist to turnover ratio. So still positive, but obviously he can improve on that. So I guess just his. ball security and just decision-making sometimes because a guy with a usage rate as high as his is going to create some turnovers just because the defense is converging on him and sometimes he's going to make high-level passes that some of his teammates might not be ready for. Obviously, it's not going to be the case at the NBA. Um, and obviously, the second thing, the most glaring uh, of all, is the defense. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's like ability <laughs> with him. I just think it's like... Lack of effort. He doesn't seem like interested. It's kind of like a Booker thing, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say that. You know, the offensive load, and then he kind of is not interested in playing. So it just kind of floats, and you know, he's not really guarding anybody at times. He's just like chilling on the block Out or chilling there. at the elbow, and not really like guarding anybody. So uh, yeah. people always question his shooting too, and like there's I don't know how many games exactly, but there's a lot of games where he he's hit like four or more threes in the game. It's proved to be able to like where they just can't leave him open. I don't think it's as bad as people like are making it out to seem like oh he can't shoot. Yeah, he if he's yeah, just like just he can form. shoot consistently and like then that's fine. He doesn't have to be like Steph shooting. The thing with with his shot, people are bringing up his form, which makes sense because his form is it looks kind of funny. I think it's a strength. Uh, I think it's a strength thing for me, Loki. Yeah, he's also really little. That's true. 
He's probably as small as like Trey was in high school. And you see Trey like he added muscle like before the draft. So hopefully like John could try to do the same thing Trey did before he came into the league. Yeah. As far as his fit in Phoenix goes, um, I'm a lot more I'm a lot more okay with it now than I was a couple of months ago with the idea of him starting day one. As long as we can surround him with the proper vets, I, I still would prefer to uh, maybe package him for, in a big trade for a guy like you know if maybe Dan becomes available or, or someone else. But that's more than likely a pipe dream. Um, what do you, what do you guys think? If we drafted Ja, I would want us to sign a point guard still. Like a stopgap. Yeah, I agree. Like well, Rubio, Rubio or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. So, so you're saying you, you want to find a guy that's still going to start over him day one, though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the thing about it is, is that even if you sign a guy like Rubio, and let's say it's, you know, one-year deal, two-year deal, three-year deal, nothing, something that's not too lengthy, Rubio can still – you still have the flexibility of putting him in the bench or starting Rubio – at the beginning of the season, because obviously Rubio is a guy number one, has uh, familiarity with Igor's system and, and the sets that he runs. And secondly, he's a guy that really improved on the Igor, um, you know, his shot mechanics and everything else and just the game overall. So it can be a situation where kind of we did with Tyson, where Tyson was starting, but he only played like 20 or 25 minutes. And then Alex Len was playing the majority of the minutes because we still had, you know, something invested into Alex Len. So maybe Rubio can start the game, but job plays – you know, 25 to 30, and Ruben only pays 15 to 20. Right. You know, so. would, you guys, would you guys, like, would you guys take George Hill, too? Because that's someone else who's played under Igor who thrived in, uh, in that Utah system when he was with Igor. Yes, but I think that that would be, like, a second or thir- tertiary option. You know, yeah, I wouldn't I want to put all my chips into George Hill. Oh, after I, I agree. Rubio, Rubio for, is far ahead for me over George Hill. I would just... Yeah. I would say George Hill's like two steps above Rozier. <laughs> the other no, thing about that is, I mean, I, yeah, there's very few players' stock has dropped that much. If drafting Jaw means we don't get Rozier, I'm doing it every day. Absolutely, twice on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Another thing that uh, make me happy about if we took Jaw too. Uh, I have a lot of faith that. Um, love him because I think Igor has done a good job with our rookies this year. I think he'll help uh, Ja a lot, especially with his shot. Absolutely. And even also, if we system, Tyler Johnson isn't the worst option. That's what I was just about to say. If we go into the season with Tyler starting, I wouldn't even be mad. And yeah. then have and then he's have been, John take he's over been really midway. good this year. Absolutely. Yeah, he's been better than expected for sure. Yeah, his assisted turnover with, ratio is crazy. And let's say we took him at two and we start like Tyler. For like what, for maybe the first half of the season, and Ja eventually is able to be the starter. That'll be, that'll be ideal for me. Yeah. Um, the most important thing about Tyler would be that he would have a full off season, a full training camp to actually get acclimated uh, with his teammates, with the system, with all our Igor sets, and that will obviously that's like almost getting a new player on and of itself because he came over from Miami, playing his whole career there, and he looked like. You know, a lost player over like the first ten games or so, All and then just turned it on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he, he didn't play a lot of point guard too. That's something that he spoke about. You know, so yeah. um, the fact that he has this amazing assist to turnover ratio, like Jake aforementioned, um, it's amazing because he's kind of still growing into playing that point guard role. 
Not a true point guard, but doing it pretty well for what it's worth on the fly. I like I like him like as a defensive uh, pest too. Yeah, he's a dog on defense for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I seen what was it like his second game with us? Like he was doing a uh, really good job uh, annoying Steph. I think that it helps Tyler also because a lot of the time Book is like playing the primary facilitator. And he just has to run the play and like catch and shoot yeah. most of the time. And then if it works out and Tyler's time. running the offense, that's fine as well. Going back to Zion though, you guys think he would be a fit with Aiden? Yeah, I think it'd be perfect. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. There's questions because both of those guys aren't shooters yet. But regardless, you gotta you gotta balance his talent. I do think if yeah. Zion if Zion's the guy, if we win the jackpot and get him at number one. I think there's a better chance at Aiton becoming that stretch player as opposed to Zion. What do you guys think? I think both because Zion's actually shown that he could shoot in college. Not consistently, but he bit, has shown bit, yeah. it. Yeah. And then Aiton's shown it not in game, but in, like, practice. Well, well yeah, he, he shot threes at U of A, Aiton did. And I think, like, my thing is if we get Aiton and Zion – I've been comparing them to Blake and DeAndre Jordan, but just better because Aiton's way better than Jordan on offense. Yep. Just but, even more. But, like, more the high post, low post action, like, Zion can pass and facilitate just as good as Blake could. Agreed. Like, say a pick and roll with Zion as the handler and then Aiton, <laughs> and then they got to help yeah, so off Zion and lob, or they help off Book, and that's an open three, or they help off that's Uli, nasty. that's an open three. Yeah, for for all the knock on uh, John Moran and his shot, you know, the concern with it, he's shooting 36% from three on five attempts this year. So, and 81% from the line. Uh, so, and also 55% from two. So, I mean, at least there is efficiency there. If you want to fix the mechanics, so be it. And obviously, Igor will help him out with that and he can get a shot coach. But um, I think I think there's a good, pretty good foundation there and he can definitely improve because... I don't think he's lacking the work ethic. If players usually uh, struggle not. with the three, if players usually struggle with the three ball, if they have a good free throw percentage, they usually all move on their three ball in the end. I've always noticed that. Yeah, it's a good point. But yeah, um, mechanics are everything, or a big part, big part of it. Yeah. If we were, uh, like worst case scenario, fall out of top two, would you guys be okay with anyone else? Because honestly, I don't think I. Would. I don't not want really. anybody else. I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe yeah. RJ. I, like, I wouldn't go crazy nope. with RJ, but I don't even want him, honestly. I'd trade the nope. pick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd trade it. Yeah. Pack, pack, <laughs> we don't get top two, that. package pack it. Yeah, package it 100%. I mean, if we had to, if we had, if we had to, to keep to. it, um, I could, like, talk myself into RJ, but more so Jared Culver. I was about to say, if we had to, I would pick Culver over anybody. Because that, that kid is ridiculous. He's young. He's long. He can defend. Um, you know, just so, so just thinking about him and Mikal just, like, defending other people. Um, I don't want to get him at a four two, so that would be nice. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't want to do too much of a deep dive into prospects because, you know, we swore that we were going to talk so much about it, but, it, you know, it's <laughs> seven. It's- I said not yeah, until yeah, after the lottery, man. Yeah, but we basically have less than 10 games left, and 
everybody's dead on the roster. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't really think we have a case at this point. So, yeah, we gotta do what we gotta I'm do. Playing Jimmer, we're playing Jimmer for dead. Yeah, we're advertising as some kind of gotcha. So, I feel <laughs> if we wanted to sign a point guard, I feel like we could have took a chance on like du- Trayvon Duval or someone like that. But we, but instead, we took a chance on Jim for dead. It's not even a chance. I just think this is like just took him for like, like, more like a ploy. Yeah, just marketing, man. And they, I think in the twenty-four hours that we we first announced that we had him, they put up like. Social media posts like fifteen times over. Like, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, like, that was true. Like it's Kelly yeah. Oubre. Yeah, it, like, it's funny because it wasn't even just us. That's the funny part. Yo, he gave like, the longest player. Really talk about him too. Yeah, he I, gave the longest player interview ever on Burns and Gambo. Everyone's usually like five, ten minutes. This was like twenty. Like, yeah, I like. So I was listening to Gambo, and he was even surprised how big his story got because he is the one that reported it. No, like how Book said yesterday that, like he said, Book basically said like Jimmer, his eye is like <laughs> like a, a basketball legend. Because he, basically in college, Jimmer was like a legend. Jimmer was Steph before Steph. It's a like, huge mm-hmm. thing. So <laughs> Book is not wrong when he's like, he's like it's, a legend. I'm just dumbfounded how he never got out. And how he just, he just looks like he's never going to have an NBA career, obviously. And it so, sucked that I thought he was going to. I know. It's crazy because the league transitioned into exactly what he was, and he just didn't work out. That is crazy. Well, well, it's because you can't play off the ball at all. He has to have the ball in his hands to be effective. That's, like, the yeah. only thing. Even even a guy like uh, Doug McDermott, I mean, he's he's lucky he's sick trade because he'd probably be in China with Jimmer, you know? <laughs> he's yeah. a bucket, though. Yeah, no, he is. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, he's that, a bucket. He's a bounce, key, like, his bounce key also. Yeah, he's a key player on the Pacers, and they're really good. He he made himself into something because, um, obviously, being a guy who averaged 30 points per game as well and was highly touted, yeah. he never really turned into that like lottery kind of pick. But he became a good you know defender within a team concept, and he's a really good shooter off the bench. So um, you would I think just, that Jim Rallis was able to do something like that, but it's just like the guy just can't, can't seem to... Imagine but taking McDermott over TJ. Imagine taking McDermott over TJ. Couldn't be my team. <laughs> I would take McDermott. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. Okay, the pot is getting a little off, so let's just move on. Let's move on to the MVP race for a little bit. Um, we have the Rockets and the Bucks playing against each other today. And obviously, arguably the two best players in the league this year on opposite conferences, Giannis Antetokounmpo and James Harden are facing off against each other right now. So, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on potential MVP winner this year, and who is your pick? It's over. It's Harden, and it's not close. Unanimous. <laughs> Unanimous. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, bro. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not giving the MVP to someone who can't shoot. <laughs> All right, this is what we oh. gotta go do. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean to be the one actually guy, but Giannis actually has been shooting pretty well lately. Yeah, he actually oh, has been. He got a he. What? He's what he's he worked on his two? shot. Did he go two? Did he go two for four? Hey, two for four is better than all for zero, like Ben Simmons. Like I will say, Harden is just he's. Scoring 50 every other night, and he's leading his team. 
from the bottom of the West to the top of the West. It's just as soon as they went down with injuries, he just took over, and it hasn't been fair since. Yeah, I mean, for a long time in this league, they pretty much defined the award, or they've given the award to the player who is you know, the best player on the best team. But they've also kind of transitioned away from that recently with Russell Westbrook. But Harden's numbers are just too good, man. I mean, you're putting up 36, 36 8, and 6. And it's also translating to wins. That's the, big, that's the big thing. You know, Michael Jordan's averaged 37 before. He was on the 8th seed. Kobe's averaged 35 before. He was on a 7th seed. But James Harden is keeping his team within three and a half games of the 1 seed. And also, yeah, just basically he's keeping them towards the top. That run he went on when Eric Gordon and Chris Paul was out was one of the most unreal things I've ever seen from a player. Yeah, exactly. The, the injuries, too, like Jake mentioned. Clint Capella out for a long period of time. You know, Chris Paul out for a long period of time. I mean, I don't see how it's not James Harden, man. I used to have it as Giannis, but I, I said then, I said if Harden um, got the Rockets to, 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 to the top of the West, that I would change my mind. <laughs> I can't back up on what I said, so now it's hard. Like, but got at the there. end of the day, I, I don't want to take anything away from Giannis because he has been having a great year. He'll have, he'll have plenty of opportunities. Yeah, I think Giannis is going to win multiple MVPs. It's just Harden might be having the greatest season in NBA history. Exactly. Now I don't know how you can't give it to it's him. It's up there. It's up there, man. Yeah. That being said, Okay, I'll surprised. put it this way. If the Rockets were to lose Harden or the Bucks will lose Giannis, which one would be worse for their team? Harden, Rockets would probably be 13 seed, and the Bucks would make the playoffs. Exactly. Well, you have to bring it to I don't like that argument, but yeah. The East is not part of the conference. It's very top heavy. Hey, yeah. Four hey, really good teams, been, and everybody else is awful. It's been better this year. Because you have yeah, four really good teams. The top four, four is really good. Hey, it's top heavy. It's top let's heavy. Give, let's, give credit, let's give credit to the Brooklyn Nets and Magic for being better. Yeah, yeah. but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, argument is still kind of eh. You got you got Miami who under five hundred. You got Brooklyn who's barely over five hundred. Yes, the kind of fun to match. We all love D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you know, Detroit is kind of just barely above water. Um, Boston is only twelve games over five hundred. Everybody's finals pick. You know, Eastern Conference yeah, finals pick. Right. Toronto. Shouts out to me. Uh, but with that being said. Um, it's just going to be really tough for the vote getters because do you reward a guy who's on the best team with the best point differential, who's basically averaging uh, well, that's a twenty-seven? Team award too. It's it's based on the narrative of the year. So but, I mean, they gave it to Westbrook like, when he was averaging a triple double when he was a six seed, but you know, right? It changes and every year. Like we mentioned, like we mentioned earlier, for for the, for the longest time, it pretty much was never awarded to anyone that wasn't a one or two seed. Right, yeah, pretty much. I, I remember the I remember the time when Dirk won it, when I felt like Nash should have gone three in a row, and his stats were actually worse that year than it was the previous year. And they only gave it to him because the Dallas Mavericks won six exactly. or seven games, and they went on to get you know destroyed by the eighth seed uh, Warriors, led by Baron Davis and Stephen Jackson. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, well, well, I, I, never, I never let that one go. Off. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I, I guess it, it really all depends what season and how the borders are going with what narrative. Right, and then, you know, Steve Nash in 06, was he the best player? Probably not, but was he the most important player? Yes, hey, definitely. Yeah. 
Kobe was not the best player that year. We'll, we'll never have. Yeah, and that's okay. the thing. It's he was definitely it's not. not. It's not necessarily best player. It's just you know whatever the narrative is that year because LeBron has been the best player for how long? Can't win MVP every single year because yeah, he wouldn't have a million by now. Right, LeBron exactly. is not winning sixty games a year every single year. He's not you know averaging triple double like Westbrook did. He's not you know having the most efficient season ever like like Curry did. You know, so it's just necessary. It's just based on a narrative. So do you give it to a guy who's averaging 27, 13, 6, over a block and a half, over a steal and a half on 60% from the field and also shooting the best percentage inside the paint? Or do you give it to a guy averaging, you know, top five scoring of all time and has his team within three games of a one seed? So it all depends who the board will go for. It. Yeah, exactly. That's why I won't be surprised if Giannis actually wins over him. Do you think Harding got robbed of any MVPs during those years, or do you think they got them right, like fair? No, I, I don't. I mean, maybe maybe you can argue 2015 was it? He uh, should have. He should have beat no. Westbrook. Yeah, he should have beat Westbrook. I think he, like, he Steph deserved to beat Harden, but Harden deserved to beat Westbrook. Okay, 2016. That was 2016, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was that's because the narrative was all about triple doubles, even though Harden. Was basically averaging eight rebounds. So I mean, yeah, he Westbrook got an award for averaging two more rebounds instead of getting like twelve more wins. Yep. Yeah. And what was Harden had like what? How many more wins than Westbrook that year? Yeah, one twelve. Yeah, it was, it was around there. They basically, okay. like you said, narratives. They get that to Russ basically because he did something that we haven't that, seen. That wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't normal. And just the fact that he left. Basically, people were saying Russ was there alone. Yeah, he did this. He did the yes. same thing the next the next year, Keith, and no one was talking about it. Nobody so cared. <laughs> so this he did it the second time. It didn't even matter because he already had did it before. And isn't he on pace to do it a third time too, or is that not happening? I'm pretty sure. I forgot. Pretty sure he's gonna do it this year. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's, it's within reach. He's gonna do it again. And you know, you know the one thing that Harden really has going against him, and that's a lot of people that have votes uh, don't like to see him dribble the air out of the ball. And, yeah. you know, they, they really have a problem with him going ISO ball for 22 seconds. Yeah. Step back. And obviously the biggest thing that he gets, you know, a bad rap for is the foul baiting. You yeah. Know? So, they they hate yeah. everything about his game. Because yeah, so, they're like, they wish they could do it, and they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Um, so it's, it's going to come down to you reward a guy who... You know, his team has been consistently good, doesn't even have 20 losses yet, and they have one of the best point differentials ever. Or do you award a guy who has to had to carry his team on his back, you know, with a second-best player, third-best player injured, his best bench score out for a long time? You know, you have to – maybe they give him – With historic numbers. How do you guys feel about a core MVP if they were to do that? Would you guys be upset about that? At all. Hmm. Jake, as the, the resident – Hard and stand at this uh, podcast. How would you feel about that? <laughs> about what? About a co MVP between Giannis and Harden. A co MVP? No such thing. I mean, <laughs> it's not. It wouldn't be horrible. Like in in baseball, they do an AL and an NL, so it'd kind of yeah. be like that. Good point. Maybe they can split the uh, trophy right down the middle. Western Conference MVP. Badges. <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> We need to ch- we need to chalk up another MVP for ASU too, so Harden definitely has to. 
Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get Nick started on uh, his ASU stuff. Which on, is, any, uh, on anything, really. Yeah, especially as memes. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know, on. you know that you know that memes coming out after he wins, right? Oh god! I'm, oh, just, gonna, I'm just gonna pre I'm just gonna pre block you right now if I don't deal with it. <laughs> so moving on, guys. Next game is uh, Suns versus Wizards coming up tomorrow. Um, and yeah, we'll pick up the stuff from there. Say who you guys got in your final four, by the way. Also, final four. So, so when people listen, they can know that I got all final four right. In the pod. <laughs> I'm just going to call it now. Book is going for 40 plus tomorrow. Wouldn't even be surprised. Bag to bag. Well, he's going to be guarded by Rio Deal Bradley Deal. Are you sure he's going to do it? No, he's going to be guarded by Ariza. And he's gonna... If if Beal is guarding him and <laughs> Book's guarding Beal, they're both going for 40 plus. Yeah, 100%. I feel like Aiden's going to have a bounce back game. He's going to go crazy. I don't know, playing, Thomas Bryant went Thomas like Bryant. 15 for 15 last time. That's what I'm saying, he's going to get his revenge, he remembers that. Nick, only because you asked, I'm going to give you my final four. I got Duke, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Okay. Thanks. Well, final four. I got Kentucky, Duke, yes. Gonzaga, and Tennessee. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Alright, so, on that note, <laughs> we are going to end this pod gracefully uh it's been a pleasure as always we'll see you next time around thank you for listening in to another episode of the sons and done podcast Rob.